as Leisha mentioned, I am a male, and um, and um, it is not lost on me that living on planet Earth, especially in our culture, it is different to do that in a male body than it is a female body. And um, and so I was kind of conf- confessing to Leisha, like I felt, I'm like. This is going to be the worst one. This is going to be the lamest story. This is going to be... And she goes, yeah, but it's your story. Your story. So I am honored to share um, two stories of how I got dismembered and then a practice that God has used to bring it back. And so I hope it's helpful in some way. Um, The first story began... I, I remember the moment. It's one of my earliest life memories. It's got to be in the third or fourth grade range. And I was on the playground, and the playground had, was split, like old kids on one side and little kids on the other side. And someone said, hey, your sister, who is three years younger than me, is over there and she's crying. And so I was like, oh, no. So we, we came and we met at the line, you know. <laughs> um, and she was, you know, sad or you know, she was homesick or something. She was probably kindergarten or first grade. And I was on the other side of the line and at the time. You know, I, now I know I should have just asked the teacher <laughs> or just crossed the line, right? Like, I mean, um, but to me, it was like the Great Wall of China. Like, there was no crossing. And I just watched her cry, and I didn't know what to do, and I couldn't help her. And at a certain point, we both walked away, and I was so troubled that my person over there was in agony and I couldn't help. And I remember saying, this feels terrible. I'm not going to feel this. And I just went, and I still can't believe that a fourth grader or so has the power to turn that off. Um, but I did. And it didn't even begin to get turned back the other direction until my early 20s. So from fourth grade all through, I mean, I, I cried at once every couple years. And just because, just, I don't want to feel that. Why would I want to feel sad? <clears throat> and frankly, and I don't want to be blamey, but I looked at the other males in my Scandinavian family, and it was just like we, we think about things. If you're overly emotional, you're crazy. So we're just going to be sane and that whole thing. And so I just thought, oh, that's good. And I turned it off. And, um, you know, I think, well, I wasn't thinking consciously about it, but there was a sense of if I can turn some of the bad stuff off, that'll be fine. I can leave other things open. I think it's either on or off. You either get all of the emotions of life or you get none of them. And so I lived, um, it didn't work for me. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't better. Um, but that's what happened. Fourth grade, I turned it off. And it wasn't until um, Shauna and I started dating, who is, is now my wife, and um, 
I don't know, when you have no emotions to bring to a relationship, you're not a very good boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so um, we actually, together, we went into pre, it, it was premarital, but it was actually pre-engagement counseling. We had a couple, an older couple that said he was a therapist by a career. We started meeting and it just started opening up some things. And that was, it was very tumultuous. It, uh, you don't open a dam and it comes out politely, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> and started to um, infiltrate into the rest of my life. Some, um, so it started flowing, but I still didn't know what to do with the big stuff. Like, so I could feel happy about something or, or slightly annoyed or I could, I was starting to get in touch, but I didn't know what to do with the major things. And when I was 30, um, we had a, a, a kind of major moment in, in our life. Um, but uh, Shauna and I were on staff at a church in Mars Hill, in, it was called Mars Hill, in Grand Rapids together. And um, I was d- doing the worship leading and she was one on the leadership team. And her and the executive pastor were, were not getting along very well, and she was pushing him to make some changes, and he was whatever. And one day he just said, hey, this isn't working. Friday's your last day. Just boom, just drop the hammer. And I had to lead worship that Sunday. I mean, that's complicated. And um, I still remember the... Um, the staff meeting where he got the whole staff together and told the story and I just sat in the back and I just like stared holes of fury into the floor. Just like, but I didn't know what to do with an emotion that size. Um, Because yeah, I thought I'm either going to turn it all off again or burn the whole church to the ground. (laughs) Like there's no in between. It's only one or the other. And so I tried to use the tools that I had. Um, I was doing a lot of journaling at the time. It's funny, I was going to do journaling. Because I do, I, but I, I, I type it. But that's funny that this is journaling now. Um, and I was trying to do two things in particular. I didn't know it at the time. But when I look back, I was trying to write a narrative that helped me make sense of it. If I could understand why he made that choice and what Shauna brought, and like if I could, if I could tell a story, I can make sense of it. And then part of that story, the other thing, was I could figure out who to blame. Because I'm feeling this, somebody did it. And so I'm gonna figure out the story, the narrative, and I'm gonna find the villain. And and I did. And um, the more in touch with the story I got the sadder and angrier I got, and the more in touch I got with who was the villain, the more full of rage, and it didn't help at all. I tried to solve it. I was so disconnected from what my body was telling me, and I was so afraid that if I ever open that up, who knows what's gonna happen, that I just said, I I have like two inches right here that I can figure this out, and I can figure out the blame, who to blame. And when I realized, reflecting, it meant I was only living in the past in order to figure it out to protect myself in the future. But it had nothing to do with my actual life that I was living in the moment. 
And, um, and so it, it really, so the, this, this painful thing happened, and then my inability to deal with it just magnified and magnified the, the angst, the turmoil. So this was getting to the summer. We had a little summer vacation, and I actually asked the boss, I said, can I take a little extra time? And he was like, yes, <laughs> yes, do, do what you need to do. He knows he, um, I'll tell you the story of what happened after that sometime. It's beautiful. He is a really honorable person, but at the moment. Um, so we had, we, had, we had actually three weeks. It's the longest I'd ever been away f- from my job. And so we were going away. And as I was leaving, my mother-in-law gave me a book called Open Heart, Open Mind by Father Thomas Keating. And, I mean, I was just throwing stuff in a bag, so I threw it in my bag. I got there. And, you know, first or second day I looked at it, it was about uh, centering prayer. Any other time in my life I would have said, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> I am not. I don't want any part of this. And, and I was desperate. I was burning up on the inside. Um, don't they say uh, unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping it hurts someone else? I was drinking poison every day because I was mad at him, but I was the one paying. And so it was, um, I still remember the ugly brown couch um, in the little space we were staying. And I said, you know what? I'm going to commit every day on these three weeks, 21 days, to do a centering prayer set and just see what happens. And um, just so you know, we're going to do a little centering prayer in a minute. That is our practice. Um, But it's hard. Centering prayer is very hard. And I especially was terrible at it. And, um, but I just kept showing up. I mean, the gift of desperation. Um, If I could have found another way, I would have. I I didn't want to do this. But I kept showing up, kept showing up. The first week was kind of just the novelty of it. Um, The second week, some things started opening up. And the third week, something began to be done unto me that I couldn't have done with all the willpower, with all the figuring out the answers, with all the narrative writing, with all the uh, finding who to scapegoat and crushing them, all these things I was trying to do Something happened when I, when I tried to get back into the whole experience of being human and then inviting God into that space. And um, this is not one of those. And so I went home magically and everything was fixed. Of course not. Um, but something changed in me. When we were driving home after those three weeks, a new possibility was there. A new, I used the word a moment, moment ago, thawing. Um, I was able to find space for the rage, for the sorrow. I wasn't mostly mad. I was mostly sad. But obviously, rage is the easy one to express um, or easier one for me at that time. And so um, what's fascinating is I've come back to Centering Prayer many times since then. And a few of those seasons, Centering Prayer has been really helpful. And a few of those seasons, it hasn't been. And um, I don't know what to do with that other than to just name that as, as reality. Um, God is not a vending machine. 
and we don't have tricks that get God to do what we want. Um, but what centering prayer was able to do then and still today is help me release my obsession that if I can align the right thoughts, I can fix it. And release those thoughts and then be open to be gloriously surprised by how God wants to do the mending. Um, I apologize. I just grabbed your phone. Um, one quote from, from the book that I wanted to share. It's very simple. But Father Keating just says, Centering prayer is an opening of mind and heart, our whole being, to God, the ultimate mystery, beyond words, thoughts, and emotions. And I love that idea, beyond words, including words, but beyond. Beyond thoughts, beyond emotions, including those, but beyond. And so in a moment, I'm going to invite us to do a seven-minute uh, centering prayer sit and just want to talk a little bit about the practice. Um, quite simply, when we're doing centering prayer, we are attempting to release the thoughts and sink into a, a deeper place, a wider place. So the, this kind of prayer is not thinking of something to say to God and then saying it. It's releasing those thoughts and to be in God's presence. A couple days ago, my, my son Mac, he's 10, and he is a bulldozer of a 10-year-old. He explodes into every room, and he had a little bit of a fever. And so he came, I was sitting on the couch, and so he came over, and he kind of sat down and laid on me. And he's, a, ten, he's 10, but he's a big dude now. And it was like the best five minutes of, of my year, you know, because he just laid there. And did I lecture him about being sick? Of course not. Did, did he need to tell me that he was sick? No. We were just together. It was presence. And in a, in a very real way, um, that just struck me so deeply as what we do in Centering Prayer. We don't report to God anything. We're not listening for God. We're being in God's presence. We're bringing our presence into God's presence. Um, one of our kind of shared mentors, uh, Ruth Haley Barton, loves to say, learning how to be a creature in our creator's presence. I think that's really beautiful. So two practical tools for centering prayer, because it's hard, and your thoughts will constantly badger you. Um, and uh, two tools that have been really helpful. One of the most historic practices and tools, and Father Keating talks a lot about it, is having a prayer word. And um, it's not a prayer paragraph, but just a prayer word. And when you're sitting, when you're trying to open up, when you're trying to release your kind of grip on thoughts and ideas, and thoughts pop in, you just return to your word. He talks about it as gently as picking up a feather, your word. And maybe it's peace. Or maybe it's, Lord, have mercy. Or maybe it's, yes, Lord. Or 
I'm open, or whatever, whatever it is. And we just return to that word. We just pray it a couple times until that thought passes, and then we're able to return to this open space. So that's been very helpful. And actually, during that, those three weeks, I, there was a word that started to become meaningful. And almost 18 years later, I, that's still my word. And it's not a magic word. It's just the one that helps me say, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm here, God, you know. So, so maybe be thinking about that. Is there a word, a phrase, some sort of intention? Um, a more uh, imaginative way to do centering prayer is to use our imaginations and picture that we're sitting in front of a big river and we're just watching the current flow. We're just, we're just being with it, watching it. And every time we have a thought like, oh, I have that early morning meeting, we just imagine that that person we're having that meeting with is sitting on a raft and he just looks at us and we just smile and we let it go down around the bend and out of our consciousness. Just notice it and let it pass. And so whatever comes, we just notice and let it pass. And I think the key is to not fight these thoughts, to not, it's not about shame and conquering. It's not about, it's about, uh, Father Keating says, smile. Oh, there you are again. I knew, I knew you'd return. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. Um, there was a woman, very famously, that at the end of one of his sessions, she said, oh, Father Keating, I, it was a disaster. My brain, I, I was distracted 10,000 times. And as the story goes, he put his head back and smiled, and he said, wonderful, 10,000 opportunities to return to God. And that's the spirit. That's what I think captured me. If this was another to-do, you better be better at centering prayer. You be- I, got, I, I have enough to-dos. <laughs> I have enough shame in my religious background. Um, I don't need more of that. This is an invitation. 10,000 opportunities to turn back to God. So um, we're going to do this. And, um, and I, I even wonder, Christine, if I could put you on the spot. Um, I was thinking to help us come out if you would just start playing quietly. And so what it would mean is you would have to be the timekeeper. Is that okay? Okay. So I was thinking um, we'd do six minutes of just total silence, and then the last minute, if you'd, pl- you'd kind of play us back into this space, and then I'll close us in prayer, and then we can move on. So before we actually jump in, any questions, like even real specific, or do you feel like you have what you need to try this? Vaguely. And is anyone eyeing the door right now? <laughs> just looking, okay. When we open our eyes, you'll be the one. That's right, it'll just be me. I'll be like, what the heck? <laughs> um, seven minutes is going to feel like a really long time. And I w- would say probably the first three minutes will be like, I cannot stay here any longer. But um, very often, something happens as we kind of settle in, as the first 10 thoughts come into our minds and we release them, and then it comes back, and we release it, and it comes back, and we release it. And at a certain point, we begin to settle in. And, um, 
I know mindfulness is, is really uh, popular right now, and I think it's beautiful, and I practice it sometimes. But centering prayer is different in that it is built on the foundation that it is in God we live, move, breathe, and have our being. We are not doing a practice so the God who's far comes close. We're already immersed in God's presence. This is a practice that just helps us just open up a little bit, a little bit. Yes? All right, and you'll be our timekeeper, and then you will play us back, and I'll do a closing prayer. Um, I wonder if I could just open this time in prayer, and then as soon as I say amen, we will continue. Most gracious God, we thank you that you are knitting us back together, even in the ways that we split ourselves. You're remembering us. You're healing us. God, we thank you that you are with us, that you fill this room, that you are closer than the air we breathe. And God, we humbly now um, enter into this practice and we ask that your spirit would meet us in our stumblings and our distracted states and you would do in us and through us what only you can do. Please guide us in these moments. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.